Starting in verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in uh, Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do the evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of the Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Shall we pray as we open up, uh, begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives to us. And as we read it and go through, I pray that these principles that we learn from 1 Samuel, 
may be a reminder to us of what you desire from us. And Father, I pray that you would help us in our own lives to be able to please you. And I pray that uh, your word, as we read it, understand it, meditate on it, will help us to be able to live a life and to give us an understanding of what you desire from us. Help us to obey. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So here we have the background, the Amalekites. And who were the Amalekites? Some may look at this. Scholars may say, well, why did God decide to utterly destroy all the people? They were all innocent, the, the individuals. There is no mercy in God. What about the small young ones, the animals? They didn't do anything. But yet this was an important understanding of who God is and what is required of them at that time, living under the law. But the point here is the lesson we see both for Israel and for the people and for the king. Because obedience is a requirement in order to please God. And sometimes we question, well, why, God? Why? Why can't you do this? Or why can't you have that? If you think about um, Abraham. Abraham said, well, what if there's just a few people who um, are not evil? What about these individuals? And what about this? And we try to put conditions on God. And it's important for us to understand that who God is, that God is God, and that we are not. And in this lesson, we see the command given to Saul. This was a promise that was kept, um, that God gave to the nation of Israel. Hold your place and go back to Deuteronomy 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25 and looking at verse 17 to 19. All right, is everything okay? Good. Okay. Just make sure it's not me. And uh, what you have here is, uh, as giving the law, giving some of the requirements to the nation of Israel, we have the promise of the revenge upon the Malachites. And here, the Malachites were a nomadic tribe. So when it says the city of the Malachites, it's just where they were living. It's not like they stayed in one place. But they were nomadic. They moved along. And they were the ones that the nation of Israel confronted when they were coming out of Egypt. And so verse 17 says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were tired and weary. They did not fear God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, blot out the memory of the Amalekites under heaven. Do not forget. And we might think, wait a second, this is a vengeful God, but this is a promise-keeping God. And part of that is the evil of this nation was beyond and, um, what we would understand. And if you think about how what they did is uh, prey on the youngest and the weakest and kill those, and, to, and the evil of the Amalekites. And so here, now um, under Joshua, as they were leading out what occurred to them, you have the promise fulfilled in First Samuel through um, King Saul to say, hey, now you are to take and, and to completely blot out their name. But the first thing we have as we go through here, back in chapter 15, is the command of the Lord to complete this. And as one who is under the authority of God, 
the king. He was the representative, and he was to keep the promise. So the first thing lesson we learn is that he doesn't keep his promise. And we see here in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Here what is presented is that partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It is important to understand because Saul interpreted his actions as obedience. I did what he told me. But instead of measuring his actions against God's law, and we cannot redefine our sin as being acceptable before a holy God. If you were to imagine a politician or a lawyer, if you were to tell them to do something, and you think it's very clear, or even your children, sometimes your children are lawyers, many lawyers, um, because they interpret it. Employees, sometimes we interpret what the boss wants, or um, other individuals. We interpret them based upon maybe our background or based upon what we hear. But it doesn't change the law that was given prior. And it was clear. It was to wipe out, to completely kill this nation. But not only just the nation, the animals and everything. But Saul, he interpreted his actions as obedience. I kept this because I had a purpose for this. I was going to save them for worship. But yet, we learn here that it is still disobedience. And I think it's very important because in our own lives, what often happens is when we are presented with situations, and here ethically, and um, these dilemmas morally. We're challenged with what do we do in certain uh, circumstances. God's word says this, and how do we deal with this? And we have to interpret it um, in a, a Christian worldview of how to live. And in the New Testament, we see examples of this. But it's important that we understand when we are given a clear mandate by God, that partial obedience is still disobedience. And humanly speaking, we're very good at this. We're, in, we're good at taking God's laws and tr trying to redefine them to fit our own situations. And, uh, but when there are clear mandates, we need to follow them. And we could, we could look at a few in the New Testament. We could take some of the commandments as we see transferred into the New Testament that Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and also love your neighbor as yourself all those who we encounter. Remember, in the first century, it was like they were trying to define, okay, who is my neighbor? And we get caught up in the vocabulary because it's okay, I'll be nice to my neighbor because they're right next to me and I have to live with them. But the word there used is neighbor, all those who we encounter. Well, that changes it because to be Christ-like, to treat Christ-likeness to those around me who I don't like, it's, it's not fair because these people have wronged me. And what often happens, we interpret God's laws as, well, justice. They deserve justice. I'm going to treat them with the justice that is deserved them. Because legally, we have that right. But the greater testimony that God gives is that for the sake of Christ, sometimes we have to receive that and understand that there is not that vengefulness that God had in the Old Testament now. God's vengefulness is different from our vengefulness. 
God's revenge is righteous. Ours is not, because ours is often based upon emotion. If, um, if you think about emotional events that have occurred in the past in your life, and let me just give um, a specific. There are, are events that have hurt you maybe with family, and uh, maybe family has mistreated you. Uh, maybe it's over inheritance, or maybe it's over events that have occurred. And the challenge is that those still affect us in the present day. But how do we overcome them? It can only be through the grace of God working in our lives. And while we can say forgiveness complete, we, what we have to do is come to peace and be settled with that individual because they may never change. But for us, we have to be able to respond in a way which will, will be Christ-like in, in them and to be settled in our own life. And that's where partial obedience is still disobedience because sometimes we'll say, well, I can forgive, but I won't forget. And the problem with that is that that is really not true forgiveness. When someone asks for forgiveness, the completion of the transaction is forgiveness. That is the biblical picture is to not allow that to affect us. Granted, we have memories. Sometimes we can't remember what we did yesterday, but when someone wrongs us, that memory is seared into our brain for for years, and we have to deal with the, the consequences of that. But as we grow in Christ, it becomes a little more easier to allow that to not cause us to be a stumbling block. And it is hard, because we remember those times where you've been wronged. You could almost go back into high school sometimes and think about those people who have wronged you, those people throughout your lives, and to want to seek revenge for what they've done. But the biblical mandate is to both forgive and also to change, to have a new life as a believer in Christ, to have a new understanding that it's through Christ that we can have a better understanding. And that's where disobedience, partial obedience is still disobedience. The picture here we have is that Saul, he interpreted his actions and that is the misinterpretation. Understand of how we interpret. Seek counsel. When you're not sure about how you should respond in a biblical manner, I would encourage you to seek counsel. Seek out the word of God. Hey, is this the right response? Because humanly speaking, we're going to interpret it for our best interest. And that's where we have to be careful. But second thing we look at as a principle of Saul, partial obedience is still disobedience. We see secondly is that disobedience occurs when we take our eyes off of God's law. We take our eyes off of God. And what it says in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 19, it states that, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? What occurs here is he sees a spoil. And we understand even taking the member, the highest member of the, the king, that was kind of the prized possession. Because when there was a conquering of another nation, there would be humiliation. There would be one that says, look, this is the prize. This is a visibility. I have conquered. I have done this. And this nomadic tribe were fighters. They were a group of individuals who go in and sweep. If you think of guerrilla warfare, trying to go through and and they were nomadic. They were good at fleeing. They were coming in, swooping in, moving on, going on. So to be able to conquer them and catch them 
it was a prize possession. And then to put um, Agag here, hey, look, we conquered, we did this. The, the military accomplishments, those were important credentials, if you will, looked upon. We see it through the life of, of David and the accomplishments militarily. Someone who is military, military, you see it recognized in medals and awards. But here, Saul, his disobedience occurred because he took his eyes off of God and forgot about even the position of where he was beforehand. If you look back in the text and what Saul tells him, says, where were you beforehand? You were little in God's eyes. And Samuel tells him, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And who you were, Samuel, um, Samuel tells him and says, I have performed command, but Samuel said, what then is the bleeding, verse 14, of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? says, this is the Malachites. And said, verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? The danger is when we take our eyes off God, we put it on something else or ourselves. And the root of it is pride because we think that we're doing things for God, but it ends up being for our own gain. And often material possessions, even family members, can distract us. And the danger is to, to take our eyes off of the Lord. And disobedience occurs because the natural consequence, when we take our eyes off of God, we lose sight of what is right, what is wrong. And material possessions. And Saul spares Agag, the best of the animals, and all that was good or attractive. He didn't keep that was, that was hurt. He got rid of that. He destroyed it because it wasn't beneficial. And he says, oh, this was just so that I could sacrifice. But he, he saw what was good and attractive. And that becomes, if we look even in 1 John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We understand quality. There are artists who understand what is attractive. Even as a church, it is important for us because we want things to look nice. Uh, we don't want it just to be a mess because we try to take care of God's house, as we call it. But also we want to understand that it's not going to be the richest financially. There are some who want to look at, hey, guess what? We have the best of everything because we can. But what's most importantly is God desires is that when we take our eyes off of God and just think about this as a building, what we can use for it, the danger is that we lose sight of the ministry the purpose of why we are here as a local church, to serve the Lord. And it is important for us to remember that we want the quality to reflect Christ-likeness. And even in worship, in, in our, our, our ministry here, that it reflects Christ. We want to do it well, but sometimes it won't always be professional. And that is the difference because there are times where we could just simply allow our understanding of what is the best in the world's eyes to take center instead of what God desires for us. And even humanly speaking, sometimes in our homes, in our lifestyles, we want the best foot forward. We want people to see us in the best light. But yet also, if that is a detri detriment 
or it prevents us from serving in ministry, then that can be a hindrance. And so disobedience occurs when we take our eyes off of God. Let me keep going. I'm sorry to get stuck on that. But number three, disobedience requires personal responsibility. What that means is when we disobey, we should take responsibility for it because that can lead to correction. As we see here, it says in verse 20 and 21, going back to verse 20 and 21, it says, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission of, on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agai, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord. If you look at those words, there's a little bit of blame placed on there saying, well, it's the people who do, did this. If we look back at Aaron, when it was the time of the golden calf, they were crying out, and he gave into that pressure and says, hey, guess what? I threw this gold into the fire, and out came this calf. Isn't it so easy to blame others? Especially when we're confronted, we, we feel it. You know, that's the natural uh, response, humanly speaking. If you're a politician, if you're anyone in, in, in viewpoint, well, it's not my fault, it's so-and-so's fault. If you're a child, it's not my fault, it's, it's my brother or sister's fault. You understand because if you have a sibling, you grew up once, and it was easy to blame them. But as we grow up, it's, it's easy to, in truthfulness, to defer, to say, oh, well, it's, it was this fault, that inanimate object's fault. But disobedience requires personal responsibility. And that's what I appreciate about David as we look at his life. When he was confronted with sin, he immediately owned up to it and recognized and said, you know, I'm guilty. He confessed. And that's, we need to understand, even teach our young people, teach society that it's okay to make mistakes. As I was reading through the history of Britain, Great Britain, they always put greater emphasis on those who've gone through difficult times. You make mistakes. Oh, you know, but you brought yourself up. We think of the biography of Abraham Lincoln. You know, through failure comes success. But nowadays, it's, we have this mindset of instant success and those who have gone to, rag to rags to riches in such an immediate and quick um, amount of time, oh, we laud those individuals. But yet, it is those failures that build us, that shape us, the character. And to even teach us that it's okay to, to fail. But when we fail, we don't just stay there and think, oh, woe is me. I'm never going to be able to succeed. That grit and determination that built our nation, that built even individually, um, the motivation says when we fail, when things go wrong, pick yourselves up. And to understand that believers in Christ to encourage one another. Because even spiritual failures... We're going to have spiritual failures. And you know what? They're embarrassing. No one likes to have, no, no one likes to be embarrassed. You know, if someone shows up at your house unexpected and the house is a mess and you haven't, uh, you know, uh, put on makeup or you haven't, you know, changed, you're like, oh, no, wait a second. Close the door. Come back later. You know, but if that person needs help, you know, who cares? You're going to help them. But to understand embarrassment, if someone says, oh, you know, and, um, you know, you're, you're walking through a business plaza and then you have toilet paper on the back of your pant leg and you're walking through in front of everyone, you know. You would want someone to tell you. You wouldn't want it to go through all around and then say, oh, by the way, you know, back there you had toilet paper streaming from behind you. Oh, thanks a lot for telling me now. 
You know, that's pretty embarrassing. We, we get embarrassed and we respond differently. But here, the embarrassment and shame, when it comes with that responsibility that, hey, guess what? Is the memory more important that we were embarrassed because of sin? But when we sinned, that that was an opportunity to correct, to come back into a right relationship with God. And it's okay to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. The challenge is, for some people, they keep on making the same mistakes, and that's where they need a little kick in the tush, maybe, to understand, hey, guess what? Something's going on here. Some intervention, if you will, because of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. We're not going to make the same mistakes over and over again for the rest of our lives because of the Spirit of God working in us. We have the power to overcome those. But when we disobey, guess what? We need to take ownership. We need to say, hey, guess what? It's my fault. And it's okay to do that. But if we keep on making the same mistake over again, guess what? There's a constant of sin in our life that needs to be removed. And here Saul says, hey, I've, I'm okay. I obeyed you. It's the people who took all the animals. And they're the ones. They should be responsible. Don't blame me for this. And he's wrong because disobedience requires personal responsibility. That word where it says uh, turn away... Um, in here that God has turned away from you. That um, word is, uh, let's see. Sorry, I'm using two different translations. And where it says, the Lord sent you on a mission, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? It says, I have obeyed, sent me on a mission. And it was the people who took the plunder. And what occurs there, that um, there's a word there that says, you have turned away in the original language, and that is the same word for repentance, is a turning back to God, whereas Saul has, because of he has in his volitional will, decided to turn away from God. It was an act um, of conscious, conscious act, a personal decision. And that's where sin comes from. And when we sin, that we need to also in our understanding of that sin, turn back to God. And he blames the people. Fourth thing we look at the point is, obedience is the single greatest act of love to God. As we think about wanting to do what is right, for those we love, if you think about someone you love and care about, you want to show love to them. Uh, someone was telling me about sometimes different gifts that they give. It's like, you know what, I don't like gifts because... The gifts that uh, my family gives me, they try to, they want to give me something, and I have no use for it, and I'll throw it away. And um, I said, well, maybe they could give you a gift card for a restaurant or something. But he just, you know, they want to give something because they love him. They care about him. And it's seen through that act. And sometimes it's like, oh, don't give me anything. My parents, and they say, don't send me anything. You know, I just don't want anything, flowers maybe, but there's nothing there that we can give. But our natural desire is to demonstrate love in how we receive love. If you've ever read Love Languages by Gary Chapman, there's a distinction in there. Some through words of affirmation, some through gifts, some through quality time, some through acts of service. How you receive, how you perceive that you're receiving love, you'll often reciprocate in the same way. That's why sometimes couples are at odds because, you know, maybe there's that one spouse who's giving little gifts all the time or writing little love notes and for the wife, they couldn't care less about that. They just want them to spend some time with them. And then the other person's like, oh, man, I'm so busy. I don't want to spend time. And so there's a conflict in the relationship. 
until they understand and perceive how love is. But to show love to Christ, to God, one of the important acts is obedience. To obey God. And how do we obey God? Well, it is, if you think about it, through the conscience act of prayer, Bible reading, obedience, to obey. And here, Samuel clarifies it to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. What often happens as believers and in the church, we try to give God things. Oh, if I give God my time, if I give God um, monetary possessions. While those are beneficial, sometimes he doesn't have our heart. The fact that in obedience, whereas sometimes God wants us to grow in our personal relationship with Christ through time spent in prayer, in Bible study. You know, I'm guilty of this. Life becomes so busy. And if you think about the Psalms of meditate day and night, we're good at sometimes getting a checklist done. Oh, I can do this, get that done, and then on to the next thing. But sometimes what God requires us in faithfulness is to meditate over it, to think about it, to dwell on something. Some of us aren't very good at that. You know, we get bored very easily. In prayer even, there's so many distractions. But when God brings something to mind, hey, this is an important message. It's kind of like when you get in a text, um, all of a sudden the phones start going off and it's an amber alert or it's a silver alert. You know, sometimes we need that from God that says, hey, you know, guess what? Pay attention to this because this is important. There's someone who I want you to minister to. Or, hey, there's something important in this text that I want you to think about. That would help us a lot, but that's not how God works. But in our obedience, when we read the God, read the Word of God over and over again, there's going to be a highlight and text that is going to stick in our, our conscience that God wants us to think about when we meditate over it. When the people that come into our life, when we think about their spiritual needs, there's going to be those who God places on our heart to impact for Christ. And so obedience is the greatest single act of love. Saul forgot what pleases God, and obedience is better than what we can do for God and what we can give to God. So it's important, it's a simple lesson, than what we can give to God, obedience. And sometimes that simple song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily, action is the key, do it immediately, joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, and you spell it, and it goes on. We could, we could sing that as a congregation, you might think it's very very um, juvenile, but it's a reminder because obey, obey. There's so many things that we're doing. Oh, God, you know, I want to do this for you. I want to do this for you. Think about those we care about. We want to do things for them. But it begins with, is my heart right with God? Personally, intimately, that communion, that fellowship. Because when it begins there, then the joy of the Lord springs over in what we do for God. And there's fulfillment in even what we give for God. Because sometimes when our heart is right, then God asks us to give something hard. It's a little bit easier. Sometimes God asks us to sacrifice family members, where it means, might mean in an illness, or even as a missionary to go overseas. And it's like, wait a second, Lord, I don't want that to happen. But God, what is required of God? But when we're in a right relationship with God, there is joyfulness in that obedience next thing we see here is 
the last thing is disobedience occurs when we fear others more than we fear God. And that's what happened to Saul. If you look at his life, the challenge is being in a, in a high-profile position, you often are worried about your constituents and others, what they think of you. Maybe you're at a job and there's people who depend upon you. And what often happens is you're more concerned about other people rather than the focus of what your job serves. And it comes down to ethical dilemmas because there's those who are going to ask you maybe to do something um, who has a little bit of power control over you. But yet you know what is right. And so that's where if you understand the standards, first of all, biblical standards, the biblical principles to, to be able to live by those because those will affect how you perform your job, how you live among other people. There are certain social mores and um, guidelines that we have in society, but those are becoming more blurred. And as we try to discern, what it, how should we respond in this situation? Especially with people who, who believe differently from us. Engagement, interact with them. And so when we fear others because of maybe what they can do to us, maybe what they can say, there are those who are going to, we're fearful of someone who can harm your reputation. And that's a hard thing because they can harm your reputation and say, oh, so-and-so did this. And it might not be true. You would fight for that, but understand that there may be purpose in that as well. We won't, don't enjoy it. I, I don't think most of us enjoy having our reputation maligned or maybe going through a suffering or difficult situation, even when it's not your fault. But to understand that God is in control and that here disobedience occurs when we fear um, others more than we fear God. And so sometimes it's during those challenges and sufferings and trials that we turn away from God because we don't understand the set of circumstances. And here, 1 Samuel 15, 24, it states and says, 1 Samuel 15, 24, getting the right there, that Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. When people are big and God is small. And that's why I think it's important that our understanding of God affects our obedience to him. That's why our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that constant, growing, vibrant. When we read the word of God, it is living. When we are constantly in a time of devotion and reading and interaction with others. There are some who want a conscious understanding. They just have an intellectual understanding of God. God, you're there, and, and they just want a, a, even a philosophical understanding of who God is and an academic but yet God is not just an academic. God is living, and he is also personal. And that's what's amazing is that the God who created this universe, the God who is beyond time and space and matter, we can have a personal relationship with him. And our understanding of that God affects our obedience to him. If you've ever known someone in a high-profile position or maybe someone who's very popular, um, Sometimes those individuals, there's a certain separation because of how well you know them. But let me just ask you this. Does anyone know anyone famous, kind of what you consider famous? 
you can raise your hand, or you know, I know someone famous. Most of us don't know someone famous. There are those who, who know someone famous, and, and there is an intimacy. There's a little bit more in a relationship where you can call them because of that relationship. And don't still have that distinction of being separate. But yet God, who is who we look at as being God, the creator of this universe, still has time for each one of us, still knows what is going on in our lives. Sometimes we think, well, God, you're so busy dealing with the world, dealing with the sinfulness, dealing with the, uh, if we can't even understand the multiple levels of the complexities of our universe, the design. But yet that same God cares about each one of us. And that should provide great joy and reassurance because we have direct access to God in prayer. There is no prayer insignificant. There's no prayer that God does not hear. But wait, God, you're too busy. Because oftentimes we get together in prayer and we think, oh, man, that person is going through a difficult time of suffering. But yet, guess what? God still knows what you're going through, and he wants you to share it. Humanly speaking, we just say, oh, well, that's not important as this. Oh, traveling mercies, oh, that ranks a two compared to cancer treatments and, uh, you know, this individual. Or, you know, that person is on deathbed. That's, that's high priority. But God does not rank them through that. We are all his children and hears and desires that we understand who God is. And when we understand who God is, then we're going to live in a way that is pleasing in his sight. And disobedience occurs when we look at those around us and place a greater emphasis upon them rather than God. And pleasing God should be our greatest priority in life. We should not be ashamed to be a follower of Christ. And Riley, you're, you're behind on your number five, which is what we're at. But uh, go to the next one because the, under, the um, understanding is that our disobedience has consequences that can affect our future. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fed of rams. Just closing it with verse 22. As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, in, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is, that, is better than sacrifice and to heed or to fall through than the fat of rams. God simply wants us to obey. And when we begin the process of understanding God, what does obedience look like? It starts with initially with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning um, and you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, obedience begins with entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to confess your sins, to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you, to believe that he died and that he rose again. Because then that, through faith, you are in a new relationship, and you are God's child. And that means that you have an eternal home. If you've never done that this morning, I would encourage you to do that. It can be done at your seat. Um, you can take a, a, sh a little card in the back, booklet in the back that says the bridge. You can come forward. Someone will help you later. But just understand it starts there. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, today is the day. But maybe you're here this morning and you really haven't thought about obedience to God. You've just been maintaining, trying to live out a life that, as a good Christian, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
what that means is beginning first and foremost, is your personal relationship with Christ growing? God is not finished with you yet. And I try to impress upon that. There is still a purpose to your life. And God is not finished with you yet. And I know that each of you have talents and abilities and skills that God can use. So whether it simply begins with growing in your personal relationship with Christ to understand more about what God has for you. Maybe it's there's someone who God has brought into your life to help you to understand that, hey, God has placed this burden, or not a burden, a person who's a burden. They may be a burden. But to understand that God, there's something, someone in my life that God wants me to share Christ with or to help them grow in Christ. Sometimes it's the trial and tribulation that God has brought into my life, and the burden is to go through this burden and trial and respond in the most Christ-like manner because that will be a greater testimony for Christ to obey when things are difficult. But God has a plan and purpose in your life, and to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And it begins with a personal decision to say, God, I want to obey, and I am willing to follow you and to, to commit, make that commitment today and whatever you have for us. It's a, it's a constant reminder to live for Christ each of you decided it when you came to Christ, but it's also a decision that, hey, um, Lord, I'm willing to live for you. What do you have for me today? It's not always going to be easy. In fact, it's oftentimes going to be difficult, the challenge, but it's going to be the, the decision that brings the greatest fulfillment because you know that you are pleasing God and demonstrating love to him. Shall we pray?